This is Effed Up, a conversational podcast about injustice, true crime, and rosé. Season one of Effed Up is a story about the corruption in one state's crime lab. Listeners are advised that this podcast contains opinions that are our own. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hi. How are you guys? Great. How was your week? Well, it's been good. I mean, a lot of silence. Yeah. Well. That's concerning. Lots of work. Work. Occasionally sleeping. Still jet lagged. Yeah, Keith just got back from New Zealand. Mm -hmm. It's weird when you're gone for a while. Like, New Zealand is like 19 hour time change. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big jump. Yeah. But I did like, I would text you and you would be like, I'm texting from the future. Today's okay. (laughs) No, it's weird because when I left New Zealand to fly back, I left at like 7 p.m. on like whatever day, like the 25th. But then I landed at 2 p.m. on the 25th. -hmm. So like I went back in time. Yeah. Like five hours. Like it was weird. And New Zealand's beautiful. If you have never been, go to New Zealand. It's beautiful. Yeah. Your photos that you were sending us looked so pretty, like mountains and nature. Oh, yeah. Queenstown, New Zealand. Beautiful place to be stuck like for a few months. I feel like that would be your town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was super cute. It was like cold. Because it's and Queenstown. Rude. Are you implying that I'm a giant homo? <laughs> I mean, I feel like I only speak in fact. <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to say as I stand here like a little, <laughs> a little teapot. Anyway, carry on. So I'm Priya Hubbard. I'm Jessica Borges. I'm Keith Burke. So... Do you want me to say this part? Sure. <laughs> Shit. We both fell asleep. We're, we're going to make sure that Keith says it. <laughs> Can you say the script? Yeah. Welcome to part two of Acronyms Are Fucked Up. Great. Yeah. Last week, there was a lot of confusion because I didn't understand any of the acronyms. And it's going to continue tonight. <laughs> Yay! 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 Also, we got a head start on the rosé before mm-hmm. we started recording. Bear with Apologies us. in advance. Yeah. And also, you're welcome. Okay. We got to rewind for a moment and remind you of what you may need to remember from the last episode. So here it is. George Good was convicted of murdering his landlord and the landlord's wife and was sentenced to death row. In 1997, Diane Savage caught his case and defended him in his appeal. She had three things going against her. One, she was a Yankee. Two, she went to a hoity-toity school, Georgetown. And three, she was a woman. Diane was up against Dwayne Deaver and the good old boys club. Mm. Deaver claimed he did not do a confirmatory test in George's case. Meanwhile, one of the co-authors of the National Academy of Sciences 2009 report, a man named Marvin Schechter, had been concerned about the lab oversight entity Asglad Lab, and he wrote a memo detailing his concerns. Meanwhile, again, in January 2011, Dwayne Deaver was not retiring, but he was doing something that rhymes with that. He was challenging (laughs) his firing, and he managed to get unfired and then fired again, receiving two years worth of back pay and benefits. Which is a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. For real. Mm Mm-hmm. In episode three, Detective Best, who was actually the worst, he took Arlene Lincoln's bloody bedsheets and kept them in his car for a few months for reasons unknown. Yeah, because that makes sense. Right. When you have to preserve the evidence. And coincidentally, this begat a big old drunken conversation between the three of us about chain of custody. And Keith was surprisingly super smart in that conversation. (gasps) Where Priya and Jess played the parts of the Dum Dums. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I I won one. <laughs> well, um, we're about to get into that again. Yes. 
Though this time, I get to be smart because I have a script. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In 2004, George Good was granted an additional hearing. Judge Jenkins, the dude who tried to fuck with Diane Savage's career, complaining yeah. about Diane Savage, complaining yeah. about Dwayne You Hebert. did your job and called us out on our bullshit. How dare you? Right. And then took her off the case. Judge Jenkins thankfully recused himself. Oh, good. Right. Yeah. And the case was heard by a new judge. Diane was able to obtain the SBI lab notes, the alleged blood on George's overalls or coveralls. The invisible blood? That was on his boots. Real blood on the coveralls, (sighs) fake or invisible blood on the boots. Well, allegedly real blood. So the alleged blood on George's coveralls turned out to not be broccoli, but apparently it was grease. So there was a Grease from like a car? Could have been. Could have been from... I mean, who the yeah. fuck cares? It was a it substance. Was it was just not blood. It was not blood. Mm-hmm. There was visible not blood right. and potentially invisible blood. Correct. Got it. It's all stacking up makes total sense. Yep. Right. So the case file did not include a confirmatory test on George's shoes or boots, the invisible blood. Right. Mm-hmm. Just DNA- take your word for it. It was there. Right. Yes, 100%. 100%. Totally there. DNA testing did reveal profiles were obtained, but not how or who. And it was very likely that the DNA profiles were due to a transfer, which we've discussed in previous episodes. Right, right. Because a huge issue with George's case is how the evidence was stored. Because for well over a decade, the evidence in George Good's case, the coveralls and the boots, were crammed into some kind of like canvas bin with a bloody tailgate from the victim's truck and the clothes worn by George's brother and the friend. All of this Wait, they weren't mixed in, together. They weren't in yeah. separate evidence bags? No. They were How, all like, fucking together. Has no one seen CSI in North Carolina? It's I don't even like offensive is not the word, but like It is offensive. It's no, it's like shocking. Like I know like by this far into it, like, I shouldn't be shocked, but I'm still sort of like, how can you be so cavalier about, like, these are people's lives. Mm-hmm. Like, whether or not you think they're guilty, innocent, whatever. Yeah. Like, you are a, like, your sole purpose is to supply the facts, mm-hmm. supply the evidence, like, mm-hmm. whatnot. Like, you know throwing those things in there is contaminating the evidence. Right. Like, how can you just not give a shit? For me, like if I was in that position, my job is to provide evidence. If I'm to provide accurate, factual information, I'm going to keep everything separate, Mm -hmm. keep everything isolated, Mm -hmm. keep everything in bags. If it has to go in a bin, sure, everything has to be stored somewhere. But like everything should be in its own sealed, protected, recorded, documented bag. If I were a lab tech and I were handling all the stuff, how would I want something to be handled if I was in that situation. I would want someone to take their time, take care, separate things, like be fair and honest and not just sort of like, oh, fuck this guy and like chuck it in a bin. But also like we all took science in high school. If you're going to contaminate your source material, like your evidence is going to be flawed. Mm -hmm. I mean, like whether or not you blame it on like, well, the the manual said to do X, Y, and Z. Like you're like none of these people, like we've made fun of them a lot. Sure. But these aren't stupid people. Right. You know what you're doing when you just chuck shit in a bit. You're contaminating things. 
we're going to be getting into some of that a little bit with Dwayne Deaver. I do want to say on like a personal note, in AP Biology, I dissected a fetal pig. Yeah, so did I. And it took a week to dissect it. Yeah. And so there were proper storing of that that fetal pig. We did that in high school. Exactly. These people are trained, allegedly. Right. For this profession. So you should understand that there are, you have to keep things sterile. You have to store things a certain way. You have to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it's common. Sense. If you're, if you're testing yes. two separate blood samples, you keep them sterile. You keep them isolated. You separate them because you're proving you're, you're deciding somebody's life. And For you're, sure. you're trying to solve someone's death. For sure. Okay. So apparently this evidence had been handled, repackaged, handled, and repackaged a bajillion times. Right. So I was a juror in a murder trial, and we requested the clothing evidence. It came to us, and it was four different defendants in this murder trial. And all of the evidence came to us in paper bags. I don't remember if it was separated. I feel like it may have been in these four paper bags, potentially. But not sealed that you can't touch it? The evidence... No, I mean, it should have been sealed, so you can't, like... It was, I think it was like stapled into paper, gotcha. paper bags. Okay. And then we ripped open the paper bags and looked into the evidence and like was, we were looking at the blood and whatever. We're fucking jurors. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. Yeah. We were not instructed to handle the evidence carefully. We weren't, in, there were no instructions given to That's us. What, that seems about this evidence. Upsetting. When, what year was this? Do you remember? Like, approximately? Just curious. Maybe eight years ago. Okay, wow. so not that long ago. Nine years ago. Wow. Yeah. But that's upsetting, because it's like yeah. you're handling... And it could be retested later. That could be contaminated for a retrial. But I think that that was part of what was going on in this case as well. Right. This evidence was used in so many different fucking things. And it was commingled in this, like, bin right. and, like, whatever. Okay. So I found a great article from the Winston-Salem Journal about all of this, and they wrote, DNA testing was not part of the original case against Good. Mm. Then last year, in preparation for a hearing, the state asked to have Good's coveralls, which had tested negative for blood in 1992, they asked for it to be retested. This time, a screening test for blood was positive, and DNA testing found a mixture from both of the victims. But it had been sitting in a bin with other shit. Exactly. As with the audit, a lot of people weighed in on this from the scientific community. Right. Understandably, they were shocked. Yeah. Some said they might have tested George's coveralls or boots, but they would have done control tests as well. And they would absolutely report the likelihood of contamination. Right. That's what scientists would have done. Well, we know the SBI or not that. (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) However, the journal found out the SBI crime lab did not run control tests. Oh, of course they didn't. Rather, the lab relied on one of its fiber experts to examine the coveralls with a microscope. What? He concluded that the stains were blood that had soaked into the garment at the time of the crime. He did not use chemical tests to confirm what he identified visually as blood. That's important. So he just, just... Wait, whoa. Yeah, whoa. I'm going to repeat that last little fucking bit. He did not fucking use chemicals to confirm what he identified, and I put this in fucking all caps, visually. So he just as looked in, blood. What? 
The guy's version of a blood test apparently was eyeballing it. That could have been in fucking raspberry jam for all you fucking know. (laughs) How can you? Okay. I'm so annoyed by this one so far. Mm -hmm. I have no scientific background. We've already established that. But, but like, you have 10 took, episodes of this. Understood, epi- but like, even it, like, I took AP chemistry and like bio in mm-hmm. high school and like everything has to be controlled and isolated and separated. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you can't visually just go like, oh, well, that's this. You don't fucking know. You need mm-hmm. to run tests on it. Mm-hmm. You need to do the whole, you know, beaker, flask thing. <laughs> Science. The whole science Woo. thing. Yeah. Like, you need to run tests. You, just, you need to do science, science, woo instead like, of science, science, boo I think besides, yes. okay, they've yes. hired all these boobs to work for the SBI, but, like, right. how is nobody, like, on the legal teams, uh, like, the judge, like, anybody not saying, like, wait a minute, you didn't actually run a fucking test? You just looked how would they and know? were like, right. yeah, that's blood. You don't fucking you, know. You have an expert witness. You have a... This person is... Okay, so to go to the theme of this particular episode, you have a person who is working in a lab that has been accredited by Asgard Lab. You have a person who is an expert. So Yeah. If if your expert is saying, you know what, I eyeballed this and this is 100% blood, why would you question that? Right. I'm not saying that it's fucking right. I'm no. in the no, fucking I mean, slightest. Like, you throw out the word expert and you're like, whoa, they must know. Right. But like, there should be it some empirical to- data to support those observations. I agree with you. And if there's not, that's a fundamental flaw in the system, the plan, the, you know, call it what you will. But the fact that nobody is running a fucking test and throwing the book at somebody... That's not okay. That's like... I totally agree. And so going back to our first episode... Right. Where we were talking about Greg Taylor and his second defense lawyer said something to the effect, no defense is a good defense. Oh, yeah. He took a nap. He took a nap. Yeah. Right, right, And we had a conversation in that episode where I said, if a lawyer came to me and he's the fucking expert and he tells me in my fucking murder trial... He says, you know, I feel like no, de- you have a great case. Like, you are 100% innocent. Everybody's going to see this. No defense is a good defense in this one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to believe him yeah. because he's the fucking expert. He's he went the person. to law school. Right. Because you're like, he clearly knows how to work the system better than I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so. Oof. This one's make me angry. <laughs> So I wrote, this is the fucking science we're dealing with. The deputy director of the SBI's crime lab at that time was a guy named William Weiss. And he told the journal what another lab would do in a case you described to them may be entirely different from what we would do because we're looking at evidence. So he's saying this on behalf of the SBI. Right. We're looking at the evidence and they are not. I believe we should rely on the evidence as it was presented in court. So he's saying that Defending them. what happened in 1993, so Dwayne, right. was accurate. let's rely on that. Mm-hmm. Let's rely on our guy. Yeah, but that was like shady sham evidence. But this gentleman, William Weiss. He thinks that they're doing everything great. But the evidence 
as it was presented in court, only had the presumptive test result. Right. They didn't so, have the confirmatory stuff. So this guy, William Weiss, is saying rely only on what happened in court. So what happened in court was only one part of the story. There was right. no confirmatory test, right? Right. So Which is standard practice, well, it should be. Right. And it's in their manual that it should be. They always did a confirmatory test. Yeah, but Deaver was saying that they didn't do it. Right. Or that he didn't. They just didn't bring it to court. Yeah. So Something is happening with him saying that he didn't do it, that confirmatory test. Mm-hmm. There's something right. hinky. He's hiding something. So Dwayne Deaver was claiming that he or anyone had not performed a confirmatory test. And there wasn't a confirmatory test result. Like, there was no handwritten notes or anything like we found in Greg Taylor's case or whatever. Like, in the episodes that we've covered, this kind of thing, there's nothing there. So, is this guy, William Weiss, saying we need to rely on a presumptive test that could potentially be identifying broccoli? Right. Or sap or whatever? And also, I would like to point out that Deaver, at the initial trial, referred twice to the, and this is quotes around this word, blood he'd found. As though it was definitive that that's what the substance was, when he actually didn't know what the substance was that he found. And it turns out it was grease. So, apparently, in the hearing... Can you sue these people civilly? hmm? In, like, civil court, can you sue them? Because, hypothetically, like, if I were somebody on trial... And this schmuck did what you just said. Mm-hmm. When I was acquitted, I would sue the fuck out of them. Well, yes. I think that's exactly what Greg Taylor did in getting the $4.6 million. And I think that's like what... you you ruined my life. Correct. But I think these are all... Because, those are like, all civil you're cases. you're a shitty... You're not even a scientist. Right. You just, what, eyeballed something that ended up being motor oil that you said was... Like, you... Accused me of murdering somebody. Yeah. And saying that's blood evidence, it's whatever, when it turned out to be oil, grease, whatever. Right. Like, I would sue you until you couldn't buy a sandwich. Right. Okay. And, like, I wouldn't care if, like, I ruined your life, your family, like, your extended family. Like, fuck you. I would, yeah, like... Yeah, you ruined my life. Uh, like, yeah. eye for an eye, just like we were talking about. fair play. Right. Like, I would take you I'm for not every for the death penny, penalty, like, but I am 100% for Hammurabi's yeah, code. Yeah, I would ruin your life. Yeah. And I would do it with a smile on my face because you try to ruin mine for some bullshit because you're just... And don't blame it on, like, I'm following, like, a protocol. I'm following... Right. A, like, no, you knew what you were doing was wrong. Yeah. You knew that you weren't sure about it, but you stood up there and you fucking lied. Allegedly. And just gonna <laughs> remind you that... What I just said, he referred twice to the blood he had found. And I'm putting quotes around the word blood as though it was definitive that that's what the substance was when he did not actually know what that substance was. So apparently in the hearing, the DA, that Tom Lott guy said, we now have shown that George Good literally was up to his ankles in the blood of both victims, which is bullshit. 100% inaccurate. So, but as a as a juror, yeah. If I had seen his coveralls, right, mm-hmm. not covered in blood, mm-hmm. right. I mean, like, where where is this? It's invisible blood. But were they? Did they? Because it was commingled and like everything was tainted. Yeah, but blood dries. Sure, but did other shit get on it? 
I mean, I don't and know. The jury didn't know that it was all meshed together. Right. They just saw it and was, and they were like, oh, this is straight from the crime scene. Mm. I don't know how much grease was actually on his ankles. But from what I understand, it wasn't a lot. I think Tom Locke was being a little dramatic and saying he was up to his ankles. In well, it. of course, they're going to embellish because they want to like paint a picture. Right. So Diane asked the journal rhetorically, how can a prosecutor get up at a hearing and say he's up to his ankles in blood when there's never been a test for blood? Right. So maybe Diane is a question. Right. Maybe Diane isn't so smart because apparently she's not counting on that famed eyeballing a substance test. Yeah. Yeah. Like she doesn't know about that science. So Diane was understandably upset at every single shenanigan happening. Her client's sitting on death row, and I'm sure she's feeling helpless as fucking fuck. And as we mentioned in episode three, she and other attorneys, including Leslie Lincoln's lawyer, Buddy Connor, lodged complaints with the SBI Crime Lab's accrediting agency, Asglad Lab. And speaking of, Jess? By 2011, 386 crime labs were accredited by Asglad Lab. But what if something hinky is going on in the lab, like, say, in North Carolina? Well, you can and should complain, but you must do it in writing, which you can do over email. All complaints at the time were to be directed to Asglad Labs Executive Director, Ralph Keaton. Receipts of complaints would be confirmed within 20 days. However, according to Marvin, the New York attorney that Priya spoke with, there were no details on what actions would be taken, how complaints would be resolved, or whether the person complaining would even be notified of the results. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were throwing shit at the wall and hoping it would stick, not really knowing. Basically, yeah. The process ends with an Asglad Lab board vote. If two-thirds of the vote can't be reached, the case is dismissed. The board must notify the complainant of the dismissal. If a case is dismissed, the complainant must be notified. And as of 2011, there's no way to know how many complaints were lodged against labs or employees. Mm-hmm. It seems like they intentionally obscure the procedures to... They're just dodging yeah. left and right. Right. Yeah. For sure. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of votes couldn't be reached and think cases were dismissed. Like, mm. I don't know that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Well, went to my spam, never saw it. Yeah. So, speaking of complaints, on October 5th, 2004, Diane Savage sent Ralph Keaton a few letters of complaint about the SBI. She had called him and had a conversation with him. She was directed to put her complaints in writing. She's very, very tenacious. She sent one letter detailing everything about the case that we've told you in episode one and now about George Good's case. But in another letter, she mentions that the phenophalene test on George's coveralls used out-of-date chemicals, something we didn't know. Oh. Right. Which is fantastic and probably something Asclad Lab should be interested in. Right. Yeah. And then she gets into Brenda Bissett's testimony. This is what she wrote. As noted above, Agent Bissett first swore under oath that she knew nothing about how the evidence was kept before its resubmission to the SBI for retesting. Mm. I then showed her pictures of her standing right next to the items of evidence as they were commingled in the laundry bin, and she corrected her testimony on the witness stand. Hmm. So, like, Brenda got busted. Yeah, she got busted for being a fucking liar. Yep. Oh, I forgot. (laughs) I don't recall. Yeah. Did we ever mention that Bissette was actually part of this case? I don't know that we did, actually. I don't think so. But, so, guys, 
guess what? Agent Bissett was part of this case. We should also note that Marilyn encountered Bissett in another case where she had commingled evidence. Our buddy Marilyn. Marilyn Miller. Yeah. Yay, Marilyn. Yeah. Science, science, fucking woo, woo. woo. She's awesome. Yep. There was a pair of pants that had blood in different areas. The cuttings of all the different areas were packed into one evidence bag where they potentially cross-contaminated. We don't know why (laughs) anybody would think that's a good idea. (laughs) That's Brenda. (laughs) Seriously. (sighs) That should have rendered the cuttings inadmissible. When asked about this on the stand, Bassett disparaged our Maryland. But karma was swift because her boss, SBI Crime Lab Deputy Director Jerry Richardson, as Diane wrote in her complaint to Asgod Lab, quote, Mr. Richardson stated that he knew nothing of the condition of the evidence's packaging. He stated that Agent Bassett had that responsibility. He said that he didn't hear how the evidence looked when it came into the lab, but he admitted Agent Bassett saw the evidence before it went to the lab. These people love to point fingers and hate to take responsibility. Yeah, they just sort of like push the buck around. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, that's not. They pass off. Pass, pass the, buck. the buck. Pass the buck. Pass the buck. Push the buck. Yes. Is a buck an animal? Yes. Yeah. Cow. Yes, a cow is horse? also. Yep. It's a cow. No, a buck is not a cow. A buck is like a deer. Is a horse a deer? Yeah. I'm from the city. I don't really know animals. Kate doesn't like nature. A buck is like a, a male, male doe. Yeah. So the good news is. In 2009, a judge reprimanded Dwayne Deaver for misleading the jury in George's case. He'd mentioned that blood, that alleged blood that was like quotation marks he'd found, which it wasn't, it wasn't blood, but he purported that it was. And he mentioned this alleged blood twice while giving testimony. The fact that he stated it as fact could very much have impacted the jury's decision back in the early 90s. Of course. He's the expert. So... After the shit blew up in 2010, Diane wanted a new trial for George Good, rightfully so, especially as he'd gotten an honorable mention in the audit, along with Leslie Lincoln and a few others. He wasn't cited in the actual spreadsheet, but these folks got their very own special mention section. Because all of this was fucked up, George wasn't given a new trial. Instead, they gave him a resentencing hearing. And at that hearing, the court determined that his initial counsel in his first trial was ineffective. And we've covered that there is fuckery surrounding defense counsel in capital cases in our last episodes. So turns out that held true here. He had an ineffective counsel. And based on the finding of ineffective counsel, George's sentence was reduced from death to life in prison. Oh, that's nice. Even though he didn't fucking do it. Right. So we've got victims, we've got families, we've got all of the fucking people affected by this. The taxpayers' money, our money, money that could pay teachers a livable wage and not have overflowing classrooms. Going on a little bit of a rant here, but this is money that could be spent for so many programs that could help reduce the poverty to prison to poverty to prison cycle. Well, instead of spending that money wisely, that money was spent towards George spending almost 20 years on fucking death row. And nearly 27 years incarcerated for a crime he didn't fucking commit. The money saved from a wrongful conviction, housing an inmate, the appeals, etc. 
What if it was used toward testing old science with the modern science lens? You know, as so many people complained that the audit did. Think about it. In 2003, things like DNA were becoming a standard practice, and tests like the Takayama test were being phased out. Though Marilyn did tell me she wishes the test was still a standard practice. What if the government spent money when new technology and or new science became available to retest cases that used outdated methods? Not when requested by the person when they're in prison, but like automatically. How many cases have we all seen in fucking 2019 where people are being exonerated due to DNA testing? Something that's been standard for about 13 years. Maybe it's just me because I've been doing a ton of research into all of this, but man, there really fucking is a lot. But, okay, so little rant over, sorry. (laughs) And on that cheery note, I feel it's really important to note that George Good, who had no credible evidence linking him to the murders, feel like you should know that he's still in prison to this fucking day. So that is infuriating. And speaking of infuriating, let's talk about more other angry things. Yay! So there was no national database of labs who incurred infractions or had been involved in scandals which is wild to me. Like, there's no one tracking any sort of atrocities. Like, oh, let's trust them. Sure. Even though they've been proven to have fucked up multiple times. Right. Right. Yeah. No, let's not check on them. Right. Every five years, totally fine. Right. But also, even if things aren't going wrong, I feel like you still want, like, a spreadsheet of your labs, what's going on. Yes. Just, like, tracking how they're doing. But if you're being nefarious. Mm Mm-hmm hypothetically speaking right Mm -hmm. you would not want that you don't want a record paper trail yeah so but here's the thing 50 labs have been reported on in various newspapers so it's not like there's like this great secret i mean 28 super secret right 28 of those 50 labs were asgard lab accredited so what have they been doing not their job not thinking of better acronyms. Polishing those knee pads. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Just saying. (laughs) Yes. Marvin Schechter cites in his memo 11 states where their lab failures encompass different forms. Thus, there were mistakes in the identification of fibers, destroyed blood samples, DNA contamination, failure to perform maintenance and calibration, mix-up of key physical evidence, faking calibration dates, False credentials. Let's just say it's a really There's fucking a lot. long list. That's a list. long list. Yeah, uh, it keeps going. Yeah, There's let me a just lot. show but you. We can, it's a really fucking... We can... You know, this is holy all, shit. Yeah. For those of you playing at home, it is about a half a page of... It's a lot. And we'll be offenses. supplying the memo, which includes all of this fucked up shit that various labs were doing. We're going to be putting it on our Facebook page. Come check it out if you haven't already. Have a good time. Or Have don't. a party or a drink for a day. Get mad with us. The it's password a- <laughs> is anger. All of these fuck ups and Asgard didn't see a pattern. Because ostensibly they were all different. Right. And it was probably just one person in the labs, right? So. Yeah. Right? That tends just to that one person, probably just Dwayne Deaver. Yeah. In all of Not them. a systemic thing. Marvin cites the North Carolina SBI crime lab as one of the worst in terms of failures. And let's just point out that Asgard Lab accredited the SBI crime lab five fucking times during the time that the lab was misrepresenting five? results. And they doubled down on that shit. <sighs> After the report of the audit was released, 
Asglad Labs elite issued statements along the lines of, that was then, this is now. A new president was elected to Asgard Lab, unclear if that was related to the scandal or not. Since no one was really looking at Asgard Lab, we can Everybody presume not. seems like such a piece of shit. Right? Allegedly, Like, nobody actually, seems to fucking care about the fucking humans no. yeah. of There's North Carolina. There's literally people dying. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, that's totally fine throwing all the evidence in a fucking bucket. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. And also, like, going back to them saying that was then, this is now, sorry, I thought of it, like, while you were saying it. I feel like we've heard that from former SBI agents right. and, like, former people. Like, we've read it, all of that stuff. Everybody's like, well, that was then, this is now. That was policy. Mo- that was modern science. And this is modern science. And yeah. That's not true. That's, like, on a basic fundamental level, you separate your evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah doesn't matter if that was 10 years ago or now. Like, right. Yeah. Nothing to do with if technology was no. present or not. It's like, really just sure, doing if they're job. like, oh, well, we didn't have that test to test for like this, right. you know, Certain DNA, DNA or like mm-hmm. epithelials or whatever, but separate your fucking evidence because then it's contaminated. Right. That's not, that's been around since the 20s. Like, uh, yeah. but then. Um, okay. Yes. So, okay. I'm angry. Carry um, on. <laughs> So no one was really looking at Asgard Lab, we can, or we can presume not. Especially since she had the same sentiment. And this was the new president? Right. Okay. She said that the results, the confirmatory results that proved various substances weren't blood, like the ones in Greg Taylor's case or Desmond Keith Carter's case, who was fucking executed. She said those results weren't hidden. She said that those results were in the notes, which is true. They were. But if those results were withheld from defense attorneys, not supplied with discovery, that feels like they were hidden. Or yeah. if defense attorneys weren't Diane Savage with a lab background who didn't know that the lab did confirmatory tests, how would they even know to look for confirmatory tests since they right. didn't even know that they right, existed? Right. right. It should be noted that Marvin says Asglad Lab flat out rejected that lab reports issued by forensic serologists were inaccurate, misleading, and intended to hide exculpatory information. Moreover, Asgard Lab simply chose to ignore the plain findings of the audit. If people still feel this way a few years later, even if Asgard Lab has merged with ANAB, who are acronym Inception, that means this could absolutely happen again. Right. Yeah. They're not solving the problem. They're just sort of lift your rug up, brush underneath. Right. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So we're going to circle back to George's case. And for the resentencing hearing in George's case, Diane was working with an attorney named Bill Garrens. This is the resentencing hearing, like post-2010, right. all of that. Okay. Bill had a vested interest in this case, too. He had been watching, and this goes back to something that you'd said earlier. He'd been watching Devers since around 1989, where there had been a murder case and Bill had been the defense attorney on it. And as Bill told me... In that case, it was a pretty brutal beating with a baseball bat. His client claimed that he was a bystander, not unlike George. Deaver, who apparently was like four years old in the SBI crime lab <laughs> at this time, because uh, it's 1989. Right. So Deaver comes in. He'd been at the SBI crime lab, again, for about four years, and he knew that he needed to do a reconstruction of the crime scene. And again, it was like a really brutal beating with a baseball bat to a guy's head, I believe. Oof. So Deaver headed to a gymnasium. He put up a sheet and put down something similar to like parchment paper or something to that effect. He put pumpkins on the paper, grabbed a bat, and he went to town. 
This was his reconstruction. Right, because a pumpkin is like a human head. Totally. Mm. Like, I'm sure it's going to respond exactly how right. a human yeah, skull totally. does. Yeah. 100%. So I wrote, I'm no scientist, because apparently <laughs> I'm not. But I'm not sure that this is actual science. Yeah. Pretty sure it's not science. Right. My first thought on hearing this story was, is this how the band got its name? Smashing I, Pumpkins? Yeah. I yes! Googled. I got it. Good job. <laughs> I Googled it. After I got off the phone with Bill, but apparently it's not how Smashing Pumpkins got their name. But wouldn't it be wild if Billy Corgan knew about Dwayne Deaver's science way back when, (laughs) and he was just trying to warn people. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Bill in 1989, while defending his client, questioned the science behind all of the Smashing Pumpkins shit. And he brought his issues up with the judge. And the judge agreed with him. Then again, he wasn't a Yankee, nor was he a woman. And so Deaver's experiment was not allowed to be shown in court. Oh, I mean, if you have a penis, it's fine. Apparently. There are two points to be made here. That A, issues with Deaver's problematic work was known back in 1989. And no one thought to check in with the lab to see if it was an issue across the board or with just one individual. Hmm. And B, that a defense lawyer was able to criticize Deaver's work without repercussion. When in 1997, years after this incident, a defense lawyer who was a Yankee, a Georgetown alum, and a woman faced potential disbarment for raising this same fucking issue. Oh, and super fucked up? It should be pointed out that according to the News and Observer, the reason for the finding that George initially had ineffective counsel, like remember he... Right. He had ineffective counsel. Right. The reason they believed that it was ineffective counsel was because the initial attorney failed to challenge Deaver. The hmm. very thing Diane Savage got punished for. Yeah, basically. Right. Or they tried to punish her for. Right. Right. Oh, and also that Tom Lott guy, the prosecutor in George's case. Right. He said how distressed he was that defense counsel, which is Diane, that she tried to accuse Dwayne Deaver or himself of any misconduct. I think, but I might be wrong here, that Tom Locke, who is now an actual judge in North Carolina, I think he owes Diane Savage a huge goddamn apology. So, Remember how Ralph Keaton, the executive director for Asglad Lab, wanted his headquarters to be in North Carolina because he lived there? Right. Well, prior to joining Asglad Lab, he had a pretty great career there. In fact... Ralph Keaton had been the assistant crime lab director of the NCSBI crime lab until 1995. That's convenient. And he wasn't the only former SBI crime lab employee. John Nooner, who also spent time as an executive director of Asgard Lab, coincidentally also did time at the SBI crime lab from 1979, where he steadily worked his way up the ladder to deputy assistant director in 1998 until 2002. And another SBI guy, Michael Creasy, a forensic chemist, managed quality control for Asgard Lab. So it sounds like a party. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's important to note that Keaton said that both he and John Nooner recused themselves from the North Carolina SBI reviews and matters, which is great. And what one should expect. What's weird, though, is in every single article I've read, Keaton is commenting on the fucking lab. Like... The work in the lab, generally doing the opposite of recusing himself from their matters. Right. Like, no. Yeah. For example, the News and Observer reported that earlier this summer, as in around the time that the audit was released or about to be released, 
Keaton spoke with confidence about the SBI's quality of work, dismissing questions about problems illuminated in February. That was a quote. He said, continued quote, I don't think there are a large number of cases in which there's been a miscarriage of justice. Absence of evidence is not evidence of innocence. And if you've listened to any episode of this podcast, you <laughs> probably find that's not true. <laughs> so, yeah. Of course, Nooner defended Asgard Lab. He said that Asgard Lab had suspended labs or put labs on probation. He couldn't cite which ones, however, as apparently Asgard Lab doesn't track how often that occurred. Mm, but convenient. Bruh, you gotta track that shit. Yep. According to the Australian version of Business Insider, Nooner's predecessor attributed the infrequency of suspensions or dismissals to the fact that labs accredited by Asgard Lab oversight are simply of high quality, a dubious claim given the number of scandals in such labs. But maybe the fact that the accreditors and the accreditees are so commingled provides some insight into how the lab's employees are so Teflon-like. In fact, in 2007, the serology unit was in some sort of hot water, again, due to proficiency testing. So it was moved under the purview of field services, as in out from under the oversight of Asgard Lab. Okay, so... so get in trouble, move. Hide it somewhere yes. else. Yes. Move it away. They keep on doing that. It's so irritating. So irritating. So here's... Grab your tinfoil real quick. Make a hat. Put it on your head. Yep. So here's a theory to hang that tinfoil hat on. I think Keaton and his cronies potentially recommended that the SBI crime lab get the serology unit away from oversight. But that's opinion, not a fact. The actual fact is it's a real bro culture out there. Judges protect DAs and analysts and lodge complaints against defense attorneys if they dare to speak up, literally threatening their jobs. The more people I talk to, the more I understand everyone was buddies back then and to this day. They're tight. And they're going to help each other out, which is great. Except that leaves only the defense attorneys to help out their clients, to seek actual justice for the victims. Even Chris Wecker told the News and Observer that there's congeniality in this profession and perhaps a reluctance to do a hard audit. I've actually experienced this and heard this. Like anyone within the SBI that we spoke to talked about Dwayne Deaver and how affable he is. Everyone apparently loved him. That's fantastic. But one would hope that these people who were dealing with the matters of literal life and death weren't pinning all their hopes and dreams on winning miscongeniality. If Asgard Lab is not investigating the lab when high-profile cases are strewn across the media, and they're not making public the results of these complaints, which leads people to believe that nothing was done, and they're potentially only going in once every five years to look at five chosen cases per analyst, it's no surprise that these injustices have happened. And that's really fucking sad because it seems that Asglad Lab was formed to prevent great forensic injustices from happening and instead was perpetuating them. Right. Yeah. And one last thing about Ralph Keaton. And this is important. Mm -hmm. oh. He was the one to encourage Dwayne Deaver to start teaching courses at the SBI. So the executive director of Asglad Lab, he was the one who sort of got Dwayne Deaver started. Oh, well done. Yeah. So, you know the one thing in all my research that I've noticed? Deaver is absolutely by the book. Did he lie and cheat? A hundred percent. But it was sanctioned lying and cheating. And there were two times he actively lied. Not misrepresenting results, not overstating findings, but two times where he actually lied, lied. He did it in 2009 before the panel in Greg Taylor's case. Though he claimed he hadn't thoroughly reviewed the file. 
there is credible evidence that he didn't lie about not having reviewed the file. There's credible evidence about that. Okay. Because he actually approached the DA after the hearing and informed him that there was a confirmatory test and it had a negative result. He actually was the one who let people know that it was there. And here's where you need to put back on that tinfoil hat if you even took it off. And why the fuck would you? Because here's my conspiracy theory. I think Deaver lied in 1997 at George Good's appeal. He knew the drill. He knew to do confirmatory tests. When Diane Savage came in and asked him about the confirmatory test and he said he didn't do one, I 100% think that was a lie. Throughout my investigation into Deaver and various interviews, depositions, and trials I've watched or read, I've noticed that he doesn't tend to remember many cases that he's been involved with. The two that he brings up regularly are Greg Taylor's. Sure, that's ostensibly the most famous one besides the staircase, especially in North Carolina. And the second one is George Goods. He brings it up all the fucking time. And in a 2013 deposition taken because he was fighting to get his job back, Deaver mentioned George Good again. He really remembers this case. It sticks out to him. And allegedly not doing a confirmatory test that is totally out of character for him. Remember, his cases were predominant in the audit report. It was because of his confirmatory tests and the fucked up reporting of said tests Almost 50 of the 230 cases were his, starting from 1986. So what was it about this one case? Why didn't he, in 1997, do a confirmatory test on that one? Or did he? Even though withholding confirmatory tests was a sanctioned practice, but unwritten policy within that lab, I think he did know it was wrong. He didn't fight it. He was a soldier. But I think he was absolutely aware that it was wrong. So here's my hot take. I think he did a confirmatory test in George Good's case. I think he knew the results of that confirmatory test. I think it was in his handwritten notes, just like with Greg Taylor. I think there was a practice of not supplying those notes with discovery. I think Deaver knew that's what Diane was going to ask about. He's not a rogue analyst. I think he discussed this with his superiors, and I'm betting he was scared. Because I think deep down, he knew it was wrong. And yes, this is conjecture, but hear me out. We already knew that a superior had Jennifer Elwell destroy evidence in Daniel Green's case, which was around the same time. I don't think it's a leap to think that the SBI crime lab's employees would be freaked by a defense attorney asking for the confirmatory test. Remember, this is 1997, and over a decade later, Chris Moomin didn't even know that the lab did confirmatory tests until she found one. So he supplied his bench notes in that particular discovery to back him up on withholding his results. It was a sanctioned practice. So I think he did confirmatory tests. I think they were destroyed. Because remember, we'd mentioned that this practice in the SBI crime lab used to be unwritten policy. Well, Mark Nelson, the chief of the serology section of the SBI crime lab from 1986 to 2002, Deaver Superior. This guy sent out an order to the lab's molecular genetics section, which is what it was called in 1997. He sent out a memo to the employees, according to the News and Observer, that if an initial test for blood and saliva is positive, but confirmatory tests are not, they should say the evidence showed chemical indications for their presence. And that is when, in 1997, that is when this kind of reporting became actual written policy. Once again, the opinions are totally ours. But my opinion is that the North Carolina SBI crime lab covered up Deaver's lie and made the whole policy to really drill it home. 
Deaver was their guy, and they were going to protect him and all the analysts, no matter what. But yeah, of course, it makes sense. He's been their guy from the beginning, so it's not surprising at right. all. And the fact that it's written policy just gives it, just makes it even more likely that he would be following those orders anyways and doing what they want. Right. And, you know, none of this is surprising based on everything we've been talking about this entire podcast. None of it. Yeah. So we're sad to say that next week is our fucked up finale where we will happily explore reforms, recommendations, and just as you and Keith are getting excited that maybe we'll have an uplifting episode about puppies and rainbows, (laughs) we'll also have... Yeah, but we're no, going to have no. one final effed up case. There's there's no puppies. No. Thanks so much for listening. As you all know by now, we like to highlight the organizations our experts love. And Marvin Schechter loves the New York State Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. He says they really joined the fight to get the commission he's a part of enacted. Not only that, but he really believes they use their funds well. Their nonprofit foundation can be found at nysacdl.site-ym.com. Please donate time, money, and whatever you can. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. And as always, we'd love for you to join us on our social media, where we'll be posting links to our research, photos, and videos on our Facebook page. You can find us on all platforms, Facebook, Insta, and Twitter at FDUPPodcast. That's E-F-F-E-D-U-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. If you need to reach us via email, it's the same deal. FDUPPodcast at gmail.com. And finally, we don't like to shill for ourselves, but this podcast isn't about us. Fucked Up or effed up is about helping other people. But in order to do that, we need to get the word out. So if you have a moment to spare, please rate us on whatever app you use to listen to us. It will help us become more visible and help us elevate the voices of the victims and survivors who have been impacted. If you have more than a moment and want to help us get the word out, please tell people, share links. The more people know about these injustices, the more changes that can be made. Let's create a fucking social injustice league and change the fucked up world. Effed up. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Done. Effed Up is executive produced by myself, Priya Hubbard, and Jessica Borges. Research and story is by me, Priya Hubbard. Executive Inquisitor is Keith Burke. Episode recaps written by Brandy Abbott, social media hall monitors, Brandy Abbott, and Paloma Diaz. Cover art is by Allie Kelly. You can find her work at Allie Kelly Illustrations on Instagram. That's A-L-L-I-E-K-E-L-L-E-Y Illustrations on Instagram. Our music is composed by Allegra Borges. Executive in charge of support, Jeff Berg. Technical consultant, Randy Maringer of Maringer and Unger. On-air distractions provided by Nima and Newman, a.k.a. Newman. Additional investigations are provided by Cat Detectives, Monsieur Hercule Poirot, and Captain Hastings. Special thanks to Diane Savage and Marvin Schechter. The SBI could use a large dose of watching Marie Kondo's Netflix show so they can <laughs> learn how. <laughs> I That's totally my friend agree. Derek's show. What? Oh, cool. Yeah, my friend Derek show. is a. Uh, he works on Netflix. It changed the way I, I store my socks. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Very well done, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Derek. Going to do a little shout out to Derek. And if he has an organization that he'd like us to shout out to at the end of this episode, please let us know. Email us at Keith at Keith.com. <laughs> Our final episode will be airing in two weeks, so make sure to check back in then to hear how we wrap up season one of Effed Up.